Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in the Twin Cities, it's time for Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and uh, folks, this is going to be a good one. A guest that I'm hoping will be able to get her to come out of her shell. Lisa J. Smith, she is with Smith Company, or Smith Co. for short. Lisa, welcome. Well, thank you for having me, John. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you, and thanks for letting me joke around with you a little bit. Sure. Uh, but uh, let's get straight into it. Let's talk about you and how you're serving folks out there at, at Smith Co. Awesome. Well, my uh, so I'm the CEO of Smith Company, and uh, we launched last year. We are a sales consulting firm, primarily targeting um, the B2B sector. Uh, and uh, I consider myself, after 30 years of doing this, a brilliant sales strategist and a sales culture cultivator. So we'll talk about that later today. So I'm very excited to get to dive in. I love it. I love it. So uh, B2B is is your sweet spot. You know, what why are B2B sales so hard for so many companies? Yeah, great question. So, you know, most B2B businesses, what do we mean by that? People who sell basically their time and their services and their knowledge, and it varies, right? It could be CPAs, it could be attorneys, it could be engineers, it could be advertising agencies, architects. It's it runs the gamut. I think the reason why it's so hard, especially now in kind of post-pandemic, if we can say post, uh, is because you're trained to, you're really good at what you do. You've been trained to do something very specific, very complex. You may even need extra licensure and things like that. And then you, you start a business, you start growing a business that's super excited. And that starts to take you away from what you're really good at, right? So what you're really good at is doing the work. Um, and r- running a business means you have to wear all the hats at the same time if you're an entrepreneur until you get to the point where you can hand those hats off. And I think that why B2B sales is so hard is because we are in a relationship-based um, organization. You're selling knowledge in a long tail sales cycle. And so getting reaching those key decision makers and often the, the group of, of decision makers, often it's a, a team of people making that those decisions, can be very challenging. Everyone is super busy. Everyone is being bombarded with information from a hundred different channels. And so trying to differentiate yourself as a micro or small B2B organization in all the blah, blah, blah is really challenging. Then when you can bust through, it's really trying to build an authentic relationship with those decision makers or influencers. And I think that's why it's so hard. You know, I think we just need to go straight to let's get folks in touch with Lisa after that, because, because you, you know, you're right. You describe something, a a whole, uh, uh, quite a formidable set of obstacles that, yeah. that, that folks run into, uh, here. And one of the things that I, I really want to highlight, um, and folks, you'll see this, uh, in the show notes, but one of the things you, you mentioned in your company description is that B to, the, the B2B sector has seen some of the biggest shifts in client behavior, shifting work styles and accelerating digital demand that stood out for me let's talk about those three things and what's changed there yeah great absolutely so the traditional way 
a, a B2B business would do sales, would conduct sales, would be, again, highly relationship-based in, in a pre-COVID environment, they would be going to trade shows. They would be having one-on-one meetings. They would be doing high-touch, high-in-person types of activities. And they would not, they typically did not rely on their digital presence because there wasn't a need to do that, right? They, they may have had the bona fides and on a website and, you know, your standard sort of maybe a virtual brochure, if you will, but they really were not thinking about or relying on that environment. And then the pandemic hit and no one was meeting with anyone else. And literally overnight, you know, the, the traditional sales vehicles that most of these small to medium-sized businesses were doing disappeared. And on top of it, they didn't have a digital presence. They weren't relying on digital tools, digital insights um, to start selling. And so literally they had to shift. Um, and some um, industries were still doing really well during the pandemic. And so we haven't seen as many shifts to creating a digital presence or leveraging those digital tools. Um, And some industries dove in, but then they were inundated with choices. What do I do? How do I do it? How do I reach individuals? Where are they? Where did they go? Uh, Because the client behavior shifted. So now in a long tail sale, many because there is so much information online, many key C-suite VP uh, decision makers are doing 80% of their research online before they even talk to an individual. So now you're paired with this real uh, dichotomy. You have individuals who maybe were not online or were online, but weren't really leveraging their messaging or call to action or trying to build, pull them into their sales funnel. And then you have clients who are now like, well, I can't speak to individuals. I want to do all the research, you know, myself. For example, Gartner posted a, uh, a research study they did early in the spring, and it said that most uh, for a very large investment for a very large sale, most clients will now wait. And even if it causes them pain in their business, they will wait and delay to make a decision in order to avoid making the wrong decision because there's so much at stake. Mm. So, you know, trying to reach these individuals, trying to penetrate you know, uh, and and get, getting aligned and learning all the new tools that we had to was truly a challenge. And then on top of that, people weren't in their office. So now all of a sudden people are working everywhere, right? So even as, even as one-on-one meetings are starting just now to come back online, you know, people are anxious to meet with people again, but they may not be in that traditional environment where someone is used to pulling out a laptop and doing a pitch you know, or, you know, using tr- the tools, the traditional tools, they would be because they're maybe, you know, they're, they're meeting at a bar or they're meeting at someone's patio, <laughs> you know, so literally everything related to the sales cycle completely flipped on its head. And some uh, businesses did an incredible job, tr- you know, following that transition and innovating, and some are continuing to lag. And that's just kind of based on culture and leadership. Wow. A lot there, uh, Lisa, that, that was awesome. And and there's one particular part of that that stood out for me and that, that the Gardner study that you mentioned and, and 
how the fear of making a wrong decision, how powerful that is and, and, and what that means for a, a B2B sales organization, uh, uh, that what that really means is sometimes your biggest competitor is in action, mm-hmm. right? Not Absolutely. doing anything. Yep. How, how right. do you, how do you address that specifically? Well, interestingly enough, I totally believe in this philosophy, but that, that study goes on to say that B2B sales has now changed from being sort of a knowledge provider and a teacher. So we've talked about thought leadership. We've been talking about that for many years and, you know, trying to, to, um, really make sure that you're presenting enough information so the client can answer any questions they have. Now what that Gartner um, study is starting to say to fight this idea of inaction is we need to be sense makers. We need to help our clients because they're doing so much independent research, actually sift and winnow through all of that. So if we can, if we can, approach them and say, we can help you try to make sense of all this information because not everything is apples to apples. Mm -hmm. That helps you develop this uh, really high quality relationship so that when they are ready to make a decision, it's like, okay, not only do they understand my business, maybe a little bit better than I do, not, not only do they understand their competitors and who's out there and why they're different, I think that they're a better choice because they're going to help continue for, for me as a client, help me continue to make complex decisions down the road. So it's like taking it one step further and saying, you know, I'm not just going to provide information. We're going to talk about the value of all the information that you've received and how to make the right decisions so that you can fight this idea of inaction. Great words from Lisa J. Smith. She is with Smith Company as uh, the founder and CEO of Smith Company. Lisa, let's talk a little bit about analysis paralysis. (laughs) You've got a lot to say about that. I do. And it's real, right? So I think that there's so much data out there now. And in micro to small, you know, even medium-sized businesses, you know, there's two things I think relate to analysis paralysis. First, it's I don't have any data. I don't have any. I'm not collecting any data, right? So you're paralyzed by the fact that you feel like you don't have any, which is completely untrue. As a business, you're collecting data all the time. You have information, no matter how informal it is, it doesn't have to be in a sophisticated database. You know who your clients are, what they're buying, how frequently they buy, how how often uh, they buy. You know um, what markets you're serving. You know what services are most successful. There's a lot, you know, who are your biggest clients and who are your smallest clients. So you know a lot of information. And I think sometimes small to... um, you know, micro to small businesses say, I don't have enough data or I don't have any data to give me the insights that I need. And so when I work with them, what I say is, we're not going to go out and invent data. Let's just look at what you have because there are key nuggets and insights to what you're tracking. It doesn't even matter if it's on a simple spreadsheet, right? That doesn't, it doesn't matter the format that the data is in. There's a lot there that we can mine. So that's kind of one layer of analysis paralysis. I don't have enough or I have none. Then the other analysis paralysis is analysis paralysis is that um, I have too much. 
I'm collecting it from so many resources. They're all siloed. None of them are talking to each other. And so I don't even know what to do with all this information. I've got Google Analytics on my website and I've got some automated data. I'm doing some, you know, information. Maybe they're doing some campaigns. I've got a CRM. I've got, you know, a customer relationship management software. I've got, you know, my own um, financial information, whether it's QuickBooks or using a different tool. And none of those tools talk to each other. You know, I've got social media, I'm posting on LinkedIn. I don't even know what some of these things mean. And so again, we, we start from where you are day one and we sift and winnow and start connecting the dots. You know, so the thing is, it's, it's, it's again this idea, John, interestingly enough, of inaction. If you do one thing, if you start with really small steps, often those garner the greatest insights on how to move forward, particularly when you're trying to grow your business. It's less about the big moves. Um, and then it's about connecting the dots. And it's, I have it as an organization, as, a, as running my own business. So it's, it's a human trait to say, mm. I don't have enough or I, you know, I have too little. So you know, it's really about just asking the right questions and starting a dialogue to say, trust me, you're, you're okay. We're going we're gonna to work this out together. Is part of this just looking for perfection when we shouldn't look for perfection? Oh, I, I totally think that. And everyone mm-hmm. has a fear of failure. Right. I mean, no one wants to fail, right? And I don't even know what failure means anymore, especially after all we've been through in the past 18 months. Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? Right. So I think it is, I think it's this fear of I'm going to do something wrong. I'm going to have a misstep. Um, I, 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 I just don't want to, um, I don't want to be wrong. And so then people do nothing. And that's a kiss of death. Doing nothing is the kiss of death. Yeah, for sure. Now, Lisa, let's talk about what I know I hear from a lot of business owners and you obviously do as well. Um, you know, why can't I find individuals that can sell like I do? How do I, (laughs) how do I find that? How do I find someone that's as passionate about my business as I am address that that question? That is a great question. And they do struggle. They do struggle with that. And I think it's interesting now, uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, business owners who are thinking about transitioning. And they're really grappling with this question. I don't feel like my, and it's for all the right reasons, their heart is in the right place. I don't feel like my partners or my managers are where I'm at. And I'm thinking about retiring or selling off a piece of my business. What do I do? And often I think that, you know, especially that first generation, you're so, the business is your personality. The business is you. Mm. You, you are the impetus of that, no matter how you, for example, I'm working with an engineering company right now, headquartered out of the Chicagoland area. There's three partners, you know, and they're still relatively young, but they're starting to think about what they do. But the business has always been in their mind about the three partners. Mm. And now they're 35 individuals, right? So the key is, I think first in admitting that no one is going to be like you are, right? You're the one that founded the organization and you, you grew the organization and you added people who were not like you because they had different and valuable skills as well. I think the key is trying to understand and translate whatever that special sauce is, right? So what do you, how would you say as an owner, I, I asked the question, you know, how would you define your special sauce? What is it that you think you do better than anybody else? And quite often, personality is some of it, but quite often it's really about 
the way they discuss their business, right? And everyone has a different layer of passion, but I think selling is really just understanding the process, understanding how to ask questions, understanding how to be prepared, and then adding your own personality to that. And I think that once owners understand that, there are certain aspects that they of the secret sauce that they can translate, then we start to train other individuals and they start to build confidence that, oh, they can do this. It's, it's, I never thought about it, you know, translating in this way. But the other thing that is I do when cultivating a sales culture and trying to attack this, like I can't find people who do it the way I do, is you have to make, you have to make sales, the sales process, um, part of everyone's everyday job, right? So even if they're an engineer or if they're an art director at an advertising agency or, you know, maybe they're, they're an architect, if you are able to start to take the sales process and translate it into their everyday activities, then selling becomes second nature. And even business owners, many business owners, selling is not their second nature. It's what they've done over time because they had to grow their business, right? Mm. Um, and so I think we start translating that to their culture and to people. And as soon as an owner starts to see success from other individuals, then they say, oh, okay, this is going to be okay. We're going to be able to make a transition. But it is a process and it does take some investment to say, you know, we need to, we need to train up. And sometimes it takes a lot of work to get an owner to say what their secret sauce is. Right. Right. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Now you mentioned a key word there and that's personality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was having fun with you about you coming out of your shell. And I think what that gets to, (laughs) (laughs) what that gets to is, you know, some business owners, particularly in B2B, right. Because it's, 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 it's high intellect and, and, and a lot of times that means introversion sometimes, yes, right? It does. And yeah. And so I think the, our uh, introverts think I can't be good at sales because I'm introverted. Right. And I think you've got some great thoughts on that. I do. It's funny because there's actually more introverts than there are extroverts and we need um, introverts in our, uh, uh, not only societally, I think we need that, but we need it in business Mm -hmm. because I think in business to business, to your point, because we're talking about really high level complex ideas, Mm -hmm. maybe they're going pretty fast. Maybe these conversations are running at a pretty fast pace, but I think sometimes because people are introverted, they feel like selling means you need to be on, you need to have a larger than life personality. But in business to business, it's often the most thoughtful individuals who are asking really great questions that are the most successful. So I think it's perception. And in this instance, perception, you know, they say perception is often reality. But I think the perception about I'm introverted, therefore I can't sell is really wrong. I think they are often best at selling in a complex sales environment. And I think when I'm working with organizations, particularly like I'm going to pick on my engineering uh, folks, when I'm working with them, you know, what I often tell them is that you need to be authentic. And I think that most individuals read authenticity first. I think it's a human 
emotional intelligence, right? They can, especially uh, the younger generations, if you talk about demographics, they know immediately when someone is being inauthentic. And that larger than life personality can come off as being inauthentic. And so I actually think it's about shifting perception. And many people, yes, are you going to have to do something that you may feel is not second nature? You know, having a, a conversation you know, um, with someone. Often introverts are better one-on-one, which to be honest, works better in a B&B sales environment. Mm. You know, so it's not about throwing them in and, into a public speaking event, right? It's not about that. <laughs> they're probably not better for that. They'll have to find someone or they're going to have to train up to do that. But I think it's about shifting perception um, and allowing them to understand that their strength, um, which is perceived as a weakness, is actually what will uh, win them the most work. And you mentioned something there that uh, it seems to me is really important, and that is the ability to think in terms of where the client is and ask great questions. And having that natural ability, if you're more introverted, is so valuable. And Talk talk about that and and having the right the client's mindset, if you will, in selling. Yeah, that takes a little bit of training. I'll be honest with you; it does take trial and error. Um, even if you've been in an industry for a long time, because as you know, industries evolve, organizations evolve, people within those organizations are you know are evolving, and I think you can start with what I always do is I start with giving people good solid, open-ended questions. Because it, it's, it's always easier to ask an open-ended question and then allow somebody to talk. Because in a, in a one or let's say you're meeting with two or three people, most people would prefer to talk about, about themselves, not ask you a bunch of questions. So, and again, this is where introverts are really good because then you're listening. So I think you start with a base of just really great open-ended questions. It's like, for example, you know, what are you seeing in the industry right now, you know, that's different than you saw 12 months ago? The completely open-ended question. Um, and you, and then you're, and then you're, and then what I try to do, if you're not used to doing this is as you're listening in your head, you're starting to, to say, oh, I heard something almost like you're doing in, a, in this interview. I heard something really interesting that I want to ask a follow-up question on that will allow me to sell my business, to differentiate myself. And that that's where the trial and error comes in. That's where you're like, you're, you're having a one-on-one with somebody and, you know, they say something, you're like, you know, it's, you said something really interesting there. I would love to have a follow-up uh, question. And then you, you start to insert yourself. And I think people who are really great at listening, and that's a skill in and of itself, um, and asking open-ended questions start to, um, start to combat that, but I'm not going to lie. It takes some experience, right? And that's why you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, uh, for a little bit. And you have to be, uh, comfortable with not always knowing the answer because clients are going to expect you to be on. And what I learned very early on as a young designer is if I didn't know the answer to the question, I said, you know what? That's a great question. I don't actually have an answer for you. What I'm going to do is find out and get back to you. And that is more valuable than trying to riff off the fly 
and answer something because people know you, you, I mean, clients will know you don't know. Right. Sure. Sure. Wow. Folks, 10,000, I mean, thousands of dollars of advice here, uh, from for free folks (laughs) from, from Lisa J Smith. Uh, and she's with Smith company. She's the founder CEO of Smith company. Um, so let's, I want to get into some of the specifics of how you work with clients in, in, in just a second. Um, but let's talk about business development tactics. We've talked a lot about strategies and kind of big picture things, but let's talk about some tactics because I want to get some work today. So how do I talk, talk to me about some tactics I can implement today, Lisa? All right. Absolutely. So I think, for micro and small businesses, what's so complicated to sift and winnow through when you need sales now, to your point, John, is there are all of these options and all of these tools and they have no idea what to do first or, or what to do in combination. So where I always start <clears throat> is LinkedIn. And it may sound trite, but in business to business, the easiest way to start building your brand with the people you're targeting is to just start posting information about who you are and what your company does on LinkedIn. You don't have to buy advertising. You don't have to buy, you know, do a lot of paid search. The other thing that I would do is I would make sure that your business has a Google business listing. It's free. Just go on Google business and make sure you have a go so that when people are searching for you, and again, you're not buying paid search. You're not, there's a lot of text you can do for advertising, quote unquote, <clears throat> that way you show up. You're giving Google the information to allow people when they're looking for you to show up, which is most important, right? Because you can't be everywhere. So you want to try to create a presence. So then if if we're working together, let's say that business is already doing those things. We want to enhance that. So then what I would say is you really want to start thinking about how much content that you have. And if you're really leveraging your content across all the platforms, are you posting on LinkedIn and then absolutely uh, you know, reposting that on your website so that you're building traffic. And um, do you, are you asking for the business? Do you have a call to action? You know, a lot of people, especially here in the Midwest, we're really reticent to ask for the business. You know, if you're meeting with someone and you have a good rapport, absolutely ask for that business. Mm. Uh, absolutely get a follow-up meeting. Because if you walk away from that, there's no guarantee they're going to have time later, even if they like you. Because they're busy, they have an agenda. They're trying to get doing, you know, doing something. So ask for the next step. As soon as you start, know what you're gonna, how you're gonna end. Those are some of the really low hanging fruit, easy things I can say to say you you need to get out there now. And when you start uh, posting information on yourself, people are getting to know you as an organization. Then. They're, as they're doing that research, they're, then they're coming to you with information. So they're going to ask you better questions about how you can help them. Love it. Uh, wow. Lots of great uh, stuff there, folks. So let's get to how you work with clients. And, and, and maybe the way to start this part of our discussion is talk, talk about how a conversation with you unfolds. I mean, if someone, someone hears this, they want to get in touch. Uh, how, how does the conversation unfold and what, how are you digging into what their issues are? Great. Um, so I start by asking a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone were to call me and say, Hey, I heard you on this podcast. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. 
what, you know, what business sector are you in? And then I'm going to ask a lot of questions. So obviously it's about trying to dig in to find their obstacles and their pain. I want to know what's, I, I, my hashtag is get unstuck. Where do they feel stuck? So I'm going to start asking a lot of questions. Is it sales? Is it growth? Is it the services? Is it their staff? Is it their culture? Where are they, um, where do they find that they're struggling? And often what we initially talk about are symptoms to the problem. And we have to find, a, we have to dig in a little bit deeper to actually get to the actual source of the problem. And sometimes that takes data analysis. So if people like what they hear, um, and they want more, then what I do is I can tell immediately if they're going to need strategy or they're going to need tactics. Are they going to need execution right away to help them meet their sticking point? Or do they need to back up and create a plan to then get to the tactics? So then I have two sort of platforms that I, that I serve. I can either create a strategic plan um, and that can be very bare bones. We don't, again, I'm trying to use the data you have. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. But, you know, what is the bigger picture? Like, do you even know what your, the customer journey looks like? Do you know uh, about where they're getting stuck with you? Are you trying to increase the share of wallet, right? Are you trying to focus more? Often, B2B focuses on acquisition when they really should focus on referrals and retention because that's where the easiest low-hanging fruit is, right? Uh, continuing to do business with people who you're already doing business with. So we talk through that. And if, they, if I find that they're getting stuck there, I say, okay, let's, well, let's do a quick business model. Let's do some strategy. Then that'll point to where you need to go. And that could be the tactical piece, which is either A, you go do that. I'm going to give you the foundation and you can go execute that. Or B, we work together and be tactical. And I have sort of three layers in the subscription service where I help re, uh, the, with the hardest part. It's qualified leads. No one likes to prospect. No one wants to pick up the phone and cold call, right? No one wants to do that. I don't want to do that. Right. I want to have conversations with people who are interested in me and I'm interested in them. Mm -hmm. So I peel off the hardest parts and a small to uh, medium-sized business can off um, uh, can shoot that to me and I will do that. They outsource it. So I can work with tools and a subscription-based monthly model that says, okay, I'm going to give you qualified leads. I'm going to, there's a, the second tier is I'm going to get you qualified leads and I'm going to start warming those leads up for you. Or you can actually, if you don't have time, I can actually do some of the selling for you. I can build those referrals, those qualified referrals for you, you know, because a qualified lead is not, um, Hey, you know, I, I heard about you. A qualified referral is not, Hey, you know, I'm on the golf course with Tom and I think, you know, uh, Tina really would love to work with you. That, that's not qualified. Qualified is they're ready to buy now. They, they want, they're so engaged and interested that they want to close that sale now. So two ways of working with an organization, but it always starts with a dialogue to try to find out like, where do we need to focus? Where are, I can hear just from experience where their pain is. Okay. Let's, let's, that's sticky. Let's go and get that unstuck. Now, I think what I heard there is that you're both a uh, depending on the individual situation of the client that you can act as either sales coach to a, uh, business owner that is doing the selling themselves, or you can actually be the fractional sales uh, officer, uh, yep. chief revenue officer, if you will, of a company. Absolutely. Either yeah, one. Absolutely. Either one. Right. 
Yep. And it really depends on the need and the culture of that organization. Mm -hmm. Some people just want to boost sales and they can close all day long. Right. Some people don't want to even close. They just they just want to do the great work. You know, they want to run the business. And so that's why I built a model to be um, I'm not going to say all things to all people, but it's about meeting the need. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, let's get to a situation where your work has been particularly transformational, a success story. You obviously don't have to share names, but a, a success story that you feel uh, particularly proud of that you like to share? I have a great one, okay. which is probably the toughest thing. It's actually about my own career, an opportunity that happened within my own career. The toughest thing I ever did. So um, I have a very non-traditional career as an entrepreneur. I've been entrepreneurial my whole life. And so I decided to, to do a uh, traditional sales position on commission. Now, I had been salaried my entire career. I'd never done this before. I'd never been in a traditional sales position. And when I joined this organization, it was B2B. When I joined this organization, I literally had to build the book of business from scratch. So not only was I, I'm pretty good at sales, but I'd never been, you know, the pressure and the thought of being, you know, no salary. It's, it's not as, you know, I'm not going to get paid every, you know, I got to, what do they say? You kill, right? This is literally what in that situation. And so I started out and I learned more about what to do and what not to do. Talk about failing fast. Mm. Um, and, and so I feel confident when I coach um, companies because I've literally walked the walk. I've, I've lived all the pain. Um, and that idea when I was working in agenda, if I'd walk into a room and I was, uh, I was like uh, feeling desperate, right? I, was, I felt the pressure it rolls off you people like the, it was almost like parting of the red sea i could tell in a room that people didn't want to talk to me because they could sense how desperate i was to close the sale mm. so i i had to really mentally shift and say stop working an agenda just start as i'm building this book of business just start asking great questions and getting to know people understanding their need and having a conversation and the sales will come and it it was a herculean effort for me to do that personally. But in after a year, I was able to build a book of business from scratch and I closed $2 million worth of sales. So it can be done. It can be done. It took a lot of hard work and a lot of lessons, but I can say that it's that it's it's doing the opposite of what you think you should be doing. You know, it's not working an agenda. It's not how handing out brochures. It's not doing all the things that you associate with sales if you've never done it before. And so I think the reason why I feel confident running my business now is that I have, I can't say I've seen everything, but I've seen a lot. (laughs) I've seen a lot and I've seen a lot of things go wrong and I've personally been on the line. So I would never ask a client to try to do something that I don't think that I could do myself. Mm. Wow. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, Lisa J. Smith, uh, founder, CEO of the Smith company. Um, wow. This has been great, uh, Lisa in, and what a, what a, uh, a lot of great advice and help that you've brought to folks that are listening. I can't imagine there aren't some folks that want to be in touch with you after hearing, uh, what you've had to share and, uh, they might want to dig deeper have you dig deeper into their situation. Uh, let's give them uh, coordinates. How do they get in touch with you? 
Absolutely. So first, please always email me, ljsmith at smithcous.com. So that's smithcous, all one word, dot com. Or you can go to my website, smithcous.com. <laughs> or you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, you know, both, both companies on LinkedIn. Uh, I am always available to ask questions. And because I'm in a consultative uh, business, I'm not going to start, you know, until we have an agreement, we're going to have a conversation. We're just going to get to know each other. So never wor- worry about being nickel and dimed. But I would love for you to contact me because I think we, um, we can identify some sticking points quite quickly. Awesome. Lisa J. Smith, Smith Company. Thanks so much for being with us, Lisa. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Folks, uh, just a quick reminder that uh, you can find the show. Probably the easiest URL is minnesotabusinessradio.com. You can find the show there and our complete archive of shows. Um, Here's what my bold ask of you is. Uh, I would love it on behalf of our guest. It's not about me. It's not about Business Radio X. It's about our guest, like Lisa who uh, do great work and deserve to be found by folks that need their services. Uh, Go to your favorite podcast app, subscribe to the show, and the search term is Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. You'll easily find us on all the major podcast apps. Subscribe and give us a five-star review. Not three, not four, but five stars, please, because it helps people, again, helps people find the show so they can find uh, Lisa and, and some of the great guests that we've had on this show, uh, uh, here over time. And, uh, we, we would really appreciate it if you could do that for us. If you want to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at jray at businessradiox.com. We'd love to hear from you and get your feedback on the show. And, uh, if you want to find any of our other shows on the business radio X network, you can go to business radio X com and find our complete uh, shows across our national network. So for my guest, Lisa J. Smith, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. 